Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy along with my partner for the podcast and my uh, lovely wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. So great to be back at our kitchen table, Sean. And today, you know, I'm kind of a China hawk. So are you. And um, every now and then through our work, we meet people who are just really focused on this idea of not just China and the threat they are to America, but really the Chinification of America. And so one of those is um, Gordon Chang. He is the author of The Coming Collapse of China. He also works with the Gatestone Institute, where he's a senior fellow. And he was on Fox and Friends this weekend um, talking to me about that really weird godfather-like scene we saw at the quasi-coronation of Chairman Xi over the weekend. And so I thought we'd bring him on the podcast to sort of give us some more in-depth information about what we saw and what it means and everything related to China. Gordon Chang, um, thanks for joining us at the kitchen table. Well, thank you, Rachel, and thank you, Sean. You're coming to us from Anchorage, where you're actually going to speak um, to our Air Force uh, about China, I presume, right? Uh, About China, about the extraordinary events of the last seven days, but also in general about uh, China's challenge to not only the United States, but the international system. Absolutely. So why don't you just set the stage for us by telling us what happened at, I call it the coronation, but there's probably some other Chinese official name for it, but it's essentially where uh, Chairman Xi basically is going to be the president. It's unprecedented for yet another term, which I guess means for life, probably. What, What do you make of all that and explain it? Yeah. Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, on um, Sunday received uh, his uh, third term as general secretary of the Communist Party. It is precedent-breaking because in recent years, uh, the party had tried to limit senior leaders to two terms at the top of the Chinese political system. But Xi not only got his third term, he packed the Politburo Standing Committee of the Communist Party, which is the apex of political power in China. Um, The other six seats are now filled all with his loyalists, which means that there is no opposition to him, um, at least at the very top of the Chinese political system. Um, But the events on Sunday um, have followed the extraordinary event on Saturday, something that we have not seen in a very long time. Describe what happened for those who didn't see that, what happened. At the closing ceremony of the Communist Party's 20th National Congress, Hu Jintao, who is the immediate predecessor um, to Xi, was frog-marched out of the session. And this occurred after uh, the press had been allowed in. So obviously, this was an attempt to not only intimidate the Communist Party, which they could have done in closed session, um, but to intimidate the Chinese people, Um, and more of concern to us, to uh, intimidate the world. Now, Hu Jintao is a fascinating figure. He's the leader of what's known as the Communist Youth League faction in the party. Um, But after the events on Saturday, one could argue that there is no more Youth League faction. Um, But uh, right now, um, this is of great concern because Xi Jinping has consolidated power. Um, 
he believes and reveres in Mao Zedong, the uh, leader of the the first leader of the People's Republic. Um, so Xi is very much a Maoist, believing in total uh, control over society. And he believes in, he doesn't believe in a free market or uh, open semi-market. He believes in state domination of the economy, state enterprises, state banks. He believes in total control and total surveillance. So China is no longer authoritarian, as people used to call it. It is now either totalitarian or semi-totalitarian on the way to full-on totalitarianism. We've seen this before in other countries. It always ends in tragedy, not just for those countries involved, but for others as well. You know, Gordon, I watched the Hu Xintao um, removal from the, the 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 big meeting, and I didn't have any background like like you have, but it was shocking. Where I think he's seventy nine years old. He's an older man, um, a couple seats away from Xi Jinping. And two security guards come in and forcibly make him stand up. He's obviously confused, and they march him out. Um, and obviously, he's he, he was uh, he's grabbing onto different leaders, including Xi himself, to see if anyone was going to save him. Anyone was you know going to object? No one did it. This was all it appeared to be orchestrated. And I always wonder what what does this what does this mean for America? What lessons do we take? Again, that you just mentioned that China's totalitarian, they're, they're totalitarianists now, or what rising threat comes from this? What message should we take from what happened? Um, we heard from Xi Jinping in um, the opening day of the 20th National Congress, where he gave his work report. And that work report was very had a very dark vision of the world. He talked about security. Um, he talked of China, where n- nobody actually threatens China. Um, and he also mentioned Taiwan, that um, history demands that the People's Republic annex Taiwan. So this was a, a dystopian um, view of things. And now Xi Jinping has what looks to be total power. That means he has the ability to accomplish what he has told us he will do. And um, totalitarian leaders are very good at actually um, at trying to um, accomplish what they say. So we have to assume that they'll march on Taiwan. And we also have to assume that they'll march on the rest of the world. Because um, in, in prior speeches um, and in prior things that he's done, Xi Jinping has made it very clear that he believes that... Uh, uh, the, that the, he has the mandate of heaven to rule Tian Xiao, which is all under heaven. This was the notion from two millennia of imperial rule. The Chinese emperors were not only um, permitted by heaven to rule the planet, but that they were compelled by heaven to do so. And Xi Jinping has actually gone beyond this because since 2018, his officials have openly talked in public about China ruling the moon and Mars. Um, so this is the most ambitious ruler in history, Sean. Do we know what happened to Hu Xintao? Um, has there been any, since we last talked, I asked you that on Sunday on Fox and Friends and you said no one had heard from him. Has anyone heard from him since then? Uh, no. Um, and uh, there are rumors, um, unconfirmed, um, which may or may not be true. I tend to suspect they're not, but there are rumors on Chinese social media that um, Communist Party officials have been rounding up whose family. Um, and, and that's entirely possible because um, in the communist system, when a, someone gets punished, the entire family will get punished. It's not as formalized as North Korea, where if someone's punished, then um, three generations back are also punished. Um, But it is uh, normal Communist Party politics to attack the family. So there is concern not only for who himself, but for his immediate family. You know, I look at this and say, what what does this mean for America in the sense that does the Biden administration, do Republicans and Democrats come together and finally recognize the the growing military and economic threat that is China? Do our businesses start to take a step back and say, well, maybe we shouldn't be investing so much in China. Maybe we shouldn't share so much of our technology. Maybe we should be more concerned about the espionage that's taking place in America with our technology that's not just being used economically, but also being militarily used to advance their uh, their their navy, their air force, um, and their military capabilities. 
Well, on the part of the Biden administration itself, um, the, the civilian officials, there's been a noticeable lack of sense of urgency. And that's also been true of the senior leadership in the Pentagon, the three and four stars, at least until last week. Last week, two events occurred um, which broke a pattern. Um, for instance, on Monday, um, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said that China was on a much faster timeline, as he put it, with regard to Taiwan. And then on Wednesday, um, Admiral Mike Gilday, who is the chief of naval operations, in other words, the Navy's top officer, actually said that he could not rule out China moving against Taiwan this year. Um, but apart from those two statements, um, we've had a Pentagon that in general knows it needs to prepare, but it is not really uh, moved with what you'd say at the speed that, that they should be moving. Um, with regard to the Biden administration, um, they did something which was really terrific about a week ago, uh, where President Biden, by executive order, prohibited the sale of advanced semiconductors to China, as well as the sale of uh, associated chip making equipment. But here, again, the lack of sense of urgency, the president gave two waivers, one to South Korea, the other for, to Taiwan for one year. So if they felt that this was as urgent as I think it is, they would not have issued those waivers. But at least they're moving in the right direction. As for business itself, that's a great question. Um, there's a lot of different attitudes in the business community. We see, for instance, that um, Walmart and the big box stores are fully committed to their China uh, supply chains. Um, but even Apple, which once was fully committed, is now having second thoughts. It moved iPad production to Vietnam and some of its uh, iPhone 14 production to India. Um, one of the things, Sean, um, that we don't often focus on is that uh, American companies, um, they're being pushed out of China by China itself. So it's they've coming to a recognition that they have got to diversify because otherwise they may not be able to make products um, for Americans and others. That's so interesting. Um, there's two things that came, came to my mind. One was you told me um, earlier that Americans should leave China now. I want to know why. What do you see happening to those who stay? I mean, there's a lot of American business people in um, in China. And two, I read that global capital um, since that, I'm going to call it again, the coronation of Chairman Xi, that global capital is leaving. Is that is that correct? Is, is it as what we think it is or or not so much? Yeah, the, the Chinese markets, uh, equity markets, uh, and, and Chinese stocks in the U.S. plummeted after the uh, coronation, um, down something like 14% in New York. Um, the Chinese currency, the renminbi, is falling, has been actually for quite some time, um, but it actually took bigger drops um, this week. And that's in reaction to what uh, people saw at the 20th National Congress. But there's a perception that um, you know, there's now very little hope um, about China moving in a better direction. So right now, um, it's just uh, gloom. You know, with regard to uh, Americans and other foreigners in China, um, the, the point here really is that uh, Beijing has been isolating itself from the international community, cutting links, uh, and it's actually become even xenophobic. Just to give you an example, about three weeks ago, a vice minister for health was asked, uh, what can the Chinese people do to protect themselves from monkeypox? And um, his answer was, um, stay away from foreigners. So we, we really see the mentality right now just permeating, permeating the Chinese um, society. But there's also one other thing, and that is this also this goes back to the 20th National Congress. Um, Xi Jinping um, has, a, has put together what people are now calling a war cabinet. Um, when you look at the people who were elevated at the 20th National Congress and those who were not. And this comes after Xi has been not only engaged in the fastest military buildup since the Second World War, but he is also mobilizing the Chinese people for war. And that is more ominous. So, you know, I can't say what's inside of his mind, um, but I can say that he is preparing to launch an invasion of Taiwan or some other country, um, such as Japan and the Philippines. Um, and he's also got his 
he's even got his troops deep into Indian controlled territory now. So India is also a target. Um, but this means that any foreigner in China is at risk. We saw what happened to Brittany Griner in Russia. Well, I think Americans are as at least as great a risk as uh, Americans in Russia um, as they are in China. You know, Gordon, China's had some great success with its economy. So they have this 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 communist philosophy, but have overlaid free markets on on top of it and have been very successful. But do you see that changing now with the third term of Xi? And, you know, you have this book with the coming collapse of China. Do you see China actually collapsing? Do you see it getting stronger? How does the world respond if they invade Taiwan? I mean, how does the economy play? Because the strength of their military really is coming from the strength of their economy. And that's right, Sean. The one thing about the Chinese economy is, although they claimed 3.9% growth year on year in the third quarter, that number is the result of outright fabrication. And we know um, some statistical tricks that they use to produce that. So I think that as a practical matter, the Chinese economy is actually contracting at this time. We know that uh, the Chinese oh, wait, Are you saying they lie is... about their economic growth, Gordon? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they lie? Why? Just imagine that, Sean. Right. I can't I mean, believe just it. Just imagine that. I mean, we would never think that they would do that, right? Right. Um, but the one thing, though, is although there has been over the course of decades exaggeration of China's um, economic performance by the Bureau of National Statistics, there's a sense that in the last, let's say, six months or so, that they've been exaggerating more. And we're starting to see this because the underlying indicators are almost all down. So it's hard to come up with a positive GDP number, gross domestic product. But also um, people are relying more on satellites and there are more and more satellite surveys monitoring economic activity in China, which point to a contracting economy. You know, all economies contract, um, but this one looks like a long-term one for a number of reasons. First of all, China to avoid a 2008 downturn embarked on a massive stimulus program the biggest in history. And now their economy is exhausted and they have a debt crisis. But there's something even more fundamental than that. And that is Xi Jinping believes in Marxist economics, or at least Maoist economics, of the state controlling everything. The reason why China had that boom that you referred to, um, decades of prosperity, is because they moved to freer markets. And that's over. So we can see that uh, the Chinese regime is now bent on um, going back to something that clearly has not worked, cannot work, and they are attacking um, their most productive sector of societies, uh, you know, the domestic Chinese private entrepreneurs, like, for instance, Alibaba and Ant Group. Um, so, you know, this is this is not a good story. This makes sense to me, though, because I, I mean, I keep thinking about that period of growth, right? And that's what worries me about about China. Um, I know, as you guys mentioned, that they lie about certain things, but economically speaking, um, but I was really confused and, and maybe you can help me understand. And maybe this, the, the answer is what you're saying, um, that he really is a Maoist and, and believes in those things because he has a zero COVID policy, which is clearly hurting economic productivity in China. Yes. You know, I'm glad you mentioned zero COVID um, because, you know, it's supposed to be a disease control measure. But it's now obvious that it's a people control measure. Yes. And one other thing about this, and that is from the early months of the pandemic, the Communist Party has made its control of the disease a test of its legitimacy because it's argued um, and they've been very public about this. And the propaganda is relentless that because China, who was better able to control the disease, it shows that its form of communism is superior to democracy in general, and American democracy in particular. So they believe that isolation is the only way to control the disease. So they're going to go to um, obsessive lengths to control um, the coronavirus. So this is, this is a test of Communist Party rule. And that's one other reason why. Um, but when you look at this, it's crippling the Chinese economy because even in areas where 
coronavirus is not present, even in areas where there are no lockdowns, people can't plan because they know this disease is highly transmissible. Right. It jumps from place to place. It comes back as it's come back to Shanghai, for instance. And so um, it, it has made planning very, very hard for business, which means that business activity has slumped. And that's that. why I can't believe that uh, the Chinese economy grew 3.9 in Q3. Right. And, and what I think is right. important is that we have clear eyes in the West, whether it's our business leaders or our political leaders on what's actually happening in China, what it does for freedom and democracy. And so often now we hear our business leaders talking about really how great the Chinese system is, how quickly they can move and pivot um, because Let's they have this clip, state actually, control, which Trudeau, I was going to, yeah, I was going to lead into that. So J- Justin Trudeau okay, of 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 Canada uh, has his own view on uh, China and the Chinese system. Let's take a listen. We'll get you to react. There's a level of of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Their you know, basic dictatorship is allowing them. Uh, to actually turn their economy around on a dime and say, we need to go green as fast as we need to start, you know, investing in solar. So Justin Trudeau singing the praises of the totalitarian system in China as maybe a way for us to look forward. If we had a little more China in Canada and maybe the U.S., we could be as strong <laughs> as as China. This is insanity. Well, this is the Trudeau family. Um Trudeau, you know, people argue is a communist. Um, it's yes, just that, he is. <laughs> it's just that he's, you know, the elected leader in a democratic society, so he can't actually turn Canada into a socialist state immediately. But this is this is his father. I mean, they they admired Castro. They admired Mao. So, um, you know, don't get me started about Trudeau because. I, 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 I think Gordon, I think he's uh, Castro's love child. I don't know if you've seen those photos, but it's <laughs> yes, really uncanny. That's, that is a real possibility. Yeah, when you I look think at, so When too. you look at uh, his, his, when you look at Pierre Trudeau, his supposedly his father. Um, but the other thing here is that it's not just Trudeau, it's just Bill Gates. Yes. And, and you know, he said these, you know, China is a capitalist society. It's not communist anymore. Well, I mean, these American business people um, just miss, I don't know whether they're sincere or not, but they are misdescribing China because it's not the China that actually exists. Um, so when, when you look at all of this, uh, we have a business class that is undermining our national security. That, that leads to other questions. But the point right now is that um, we are now seeing a lot of people say, oh my God, I was wrong. Um, China is still communist because, by the way, it's getting even more communist, Rachel. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned. Every baby is a miracle from God, worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. So I want to talk, I want to make sure we have time to talk about the Chinese social credit score system, because I really think that's what many of these business leaders, especially in tech world, I think the World Economic Forum, I think all of it is moving in that direction. Are, but are people in, in, you know, are leaders, as you say, I mean, I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe that they're waking up and going, oh no, China's really is communist. I feel like, and tell me if I'm wrong, that the elite capture strategy of the Chinese communist government of the CCP has been effective that, you know, I believe 
you know, and I believe that Joe Biden is is compromised, uh, Gordon. I believe that the things that Hunter Biden did and the and the and the Biden family did in order to enrich themselves have made them beholden to the Chinese. The Chinese know exactly what the Biden family has done. And I think that kind of, you know, maybe it's not the the actual corruption of the Biden family, but it's definitely that many of our businesses are so tied in and are making so much money off of China that I, I find it hard to believe we could just that that meeting this past weekend, this coronation would suddenly change the path that suddenly they've woken up. Am I am I right or am I too cynical? Uh, you know, I think some people have have woken up. Um, but, you know, I, I, I fully subscribe to what you say, Rachel. Um, you know, they're and when you look at the views um, that you hear at the World Economic Forum, um, you've got to come away and you just shaking your head. You know, are these people who believe in democracy? Well, no, they, they apparently don't. I mean, they they talk about all sorts of things which are stunning, um, including um, in additional social controls, uh, attempts to depopulate the world because it's good for the climate. I mean, th these are things which you know, only totalitarian lovers. No, no, these are these are Westerners. You I, know, I know, but the population control thing is right out of the China playbook. It's right out of the China playbook, but it's even it's even more so because you know some people in the West are talking about reducing the number of the population by you know these stunning numbers. Like I heard one was like sixty or seventy percent. This is this is just uh, this is. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have a word to describe it. But it's really dangerous because these, this is just uh, inconsistent with any notion of democracy. And Gordon, on that, on that point, I what, what frustrates me. I was in Congress for nine years, and I and I see um, businessmen and politicians turn their back on their countrymen, um, whether they're the the people, the men and women that, that that built their factories, that helped them develop their products. They turn their back on them, and and to make a few extra dollars, they've gone to China. And and in in some respects, I I understand part of that, but in other respects, oftentimes they could stay here and provide those jobs, provide that uh, technology um, to American communities, and they refuse to do that um, or choose not to do that. Do you see if you pull out the the Gordon Chain crystal ball, and you see what happened last week? Um, with, as we're calling it, the coronation of Xi for a third term, unprecedented. We see the we see the rise of the military. We see this uh, potential invasion of Taiwan. Do we see uh, at least uh, American leaders, American business leaders, changing course? We've talked about that a little bit, but also the World Economic Forum turn against the the the, the China idea and back to this idea of democracy and freedom and self governance and voting, um, less control less authoritarianism. Do you, how do you see this playing out for us? And, and maybe what do we have to do to make sure we preserve um, this, the West's idea of democracy as opposed to the, 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 this push of authoritarianism that's coming from the World Economic Forum and our business leaders like Bill Gates? Yeah. I don't know if there's anything that will ever change the minds of uh, Davos, um, mm -hmm. but I do believe that in the United States we are seeing a change of opinion, um, and it's across the board. And um, it's bottom up. Um, mm -hmm. I, I agree with you that um, there are American business leaders who feel more in common with their Chinese counterparts than they do with their fellow Americans. And um, this is like one of the saddest things as we have seen um, the migration of factories to China, leaving American communities devastated. And here, you know, we can think about what uh, fentanyl has done um to people who don't have hope yes um but um, putting that aside for the moment um i i do think that um, things have changed and for many people um we have seen a stark change in attitudes especially because of COVID 19. the uh, stanford center on china's economy and institutions in july published a report that documented the sharp drop in American favorability, uh, favorable opinions of China, and actually in speculated about how that would change the ability of uh, a China-friendly American elite to actually come to terms and accommodate China, because there's mm -hmm. just too much pressure from the bottom, which is the reason why you know 
um, Sean and Rachel, your, your podcast is so important because it is changing people's views. Um, and so this is something that we Americans are going to have to do because we obviously know that there are a lot of business leaders, a lot in the political elites, whether they're bought off or whether they are just misguided or whether they're greedy or craven or whatever, but they hold views which um, undermine our um, national security. And, so, yeah. um, Doesn't it go back to Donald right. Trump, who is someone who Republicans had this idea of free trade, free trade at all expense. You can, you, you can cheat us. It's not fair, but we're going to have free trade. And I think Trump started to talk about China and the impact that China had in our economy. And, you know, they put tariffs on American goods. They they protect their markets all the while we're supposed to open ours up. And I think Donald Trump's position on China changed a lot of Republicans' viewpoints. I remember talking to the, to, to the former president and he was like, I don't care where you go. Go to Vietnam. Go to India. Just get the hell out of China. Get the hell out of China and you're not going to have a problem with this administration. I think he was he understood the threat, not just to the American community, but to the American way of life at large from the economic and the military buildup that's come from this Communist Party. Absolutely. What you know, what Trump did um, at a most fundamental level was he broke um, five decades of the China consensus in Washington and New York. And that consensus was that it was in the interest of the United States to support the Communist Party. And in the past, prior to Trump, we saw, I mean, a number of occasions where American presidents rode to the rescue of Chinese communism. Richard Nixon did it in 1972 when he went to Beijing. Uh, George H.W. Bush did it when he helped out uh, Deng Xiaoping after the Tiananmen massacre. And Bill Clinton did it in 1999 with his trade agreement that paved the way for China's entry into the World Trade Organization. Trump said, um, no, I do not believe that. I do not believe that, quote unquote, engaging China is going to be for the benefit of anybody but the Communist Party. And he started along with policies that um, put America first. Now, I think he should have gone further than he did, um, but he made that important um, theoretical shift and many of his policies, including the tariffs, um, were steps in the right direction. And yeah. I think, you know, when we think about uh, the 2020 election, um, it's unfortunate that Trump did not have four more years to cement the initiatives that he had started, because those initiatives were absolutely essential to save the American Republic. Because, uh, you know, I think we could lose our country. Um, you know, we don't, you know, Biden has started to do some things that are in the right direction, but that's only because we've pressured him to do that. Um, and we got to pressure him some more because it's not in his nature to do those things that are necessary to save America. Because he's compromised. I'm telling you, I, I really believe that. I really believe that. I think you're right. I think Donald Trump was such a disruptor. And I think nothing scared the elites more than his position on China and the uh, policies he enacted and, and really what you talked about, Gordon, which is this fundamental shift. Um, I think a lot of us, me included, Sean included, um, you know, I, I studied economics. You know, I believe in free markets. I thought, you know, yes. And I believed in, in this idea of free markets, no matter what, even though they weren't playing by the same rules and it was screwing over our own people. And I, I just, it, it just clicked on for me. And I was, you know, I, I guess I was born again, if you will, in that regard. I, I it woke me up to it. And then we saw the pandemic, um, the way they lied. I mean, and, and the way our elites lied about the origins of 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 the virus and China's role in covering it up. I mean, we knew from the beginning they were disappearing the damn scientists um, inside of that that virology um, uh, place and also in the hospitals where people were going. Those people were disappeared. Uh, duh, like they were, they knew exactly what yes. happened. We had to go through how many years of, of playing this stupid game with Fauci, pretending like we don't know, did it come from a bat? I think we're all onto it. And I think what scares me truly, Gordon, and this is what I want, I want to get you to talk about with me is the social credit score system, because I believe that we are on that path here. I believe we're already seeing it. We're already seeing through cancel culture, um, through all kinds of things, the, the way that many of the January 6 people were treated in terms of their finances, now they can't get bank accounts, mortgages, insurance, um, that there is a 
a system already in place um, through digital and, and, and tech platforms to punish people who don't think the right way. It's happening. And I don't know how to how we stop it. And I want to get your thoughts on it and tell me if I'm right that they're taking their model from China. You're 100 percent right, Rachel, um, because um, we are moving towards that model um, and we've just got to stop it. Um, it. It's just it's absolutely essential. You know, in China, they have, depending how you talk to these like 540 million or 626 million surveillance cameras. Um, but they will eventually have even more than that. And they'll be connected to uh, facial recognition systems. Um, and we have seen people being canceled in this country. Um, and by the way, our friend Justin Trudeau did that to the Canadian truckers. He did. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the way they're going. And we've just absolutely got to stop them, which means that, by the way, November 8th is critically important. Um, because we need to elect people who believe in liberty and not people who believe that uh, government is the answer to all questions. Uh, unfortunately, that is a feeling that has really taken root, especially among younger Americans. You know, when you have um, an American population that sees China as a friend and an ally and my ability to get cheap stuff at Walmart, um, businesses can... They can leave. They can. They can. They can take their products and their manufacturing to the to the to this communist country. But I, to your point, Gordon, when Americans start to wake up and they start to see China as a threat, I think it's harder for businesses to pack up um, and to leave. Um, I think it's harder to to uh, engage in the censorship, um, as Rachel's mentioning the social credit score that you see in China. It's harder to take place here. And when more people kind of the the cloud clears the mist clears and they see what's happening and they have a choice of uh, government control or freedom my hope is that they'll they'll choose they'll choose freedom and politicians who are going to uh, fight for policies in Washington that give maximum freedom and limit government control I can only hope I'm, I'm concerned about this young generation who's used to being censored um, their content that 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 all of whatever they post, their home address, their bank account is is captured. Um, these tech companies know everything about them, and they're completely fine with it. That concerns me because I think my generation, our generation, would be like, yeah, that doesn't feel good to me that someone knows all this stuff about me. I want my privacy. The new generation doesn't seem to feel that same way about their own privacy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, do you worry about the the new prime minister Gordon in uh, in, 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 in England in Britain? Yes, he had apparently, and this is alleged, but allegedly he has family ties to people in his family own some sort of system very similar to a social credit score digital um, company. Uh, so, I mean, we're in this globalized world. Um, what do you make of that? Is that something that has been on your radar at all? Yeah, the the new British Prime Minister um, certainly Rishi was Sunak. much more China friendly than his predecessor yeah. Liz Truss, and and I was very happy that uh, Ms. Truss won the um, the leadership battle what seven weeks ago, um, <laughs> but now um, we're stuck. I, I think that um, in general, though, Europe might be going in a better direction um, because we got the new Italian Prime Minister Maloney um, and. Um, you know, there's, there's still a lot of too much love for China, especially in Germany, but uh, we're changing things. The one thing that's important is that Europe will take its cues from the United States. Mm -hmm. So we need to have leadership in this country. And if we do that, then we can deal with the Great Britons and the Germanys and the Hungries um, of the world. But it really starts with the United States. And so what we do starting November 8 is really, really important to get our country on a on the better track because Agreed. this does Agreed. look really, really worrying. You know, as Ronald Reagan said, I know people say this all the time, but it is absolutely true. Freedom is only one generation away from yes. extinction and we're on the edge of extinction. Yeah, I you, you couldn't, you, you, you're saying it exactly right. You know, Gordon, you've been such a powerful voice um, in our country, giving us all this information, uh, you know, raising the flags of what's going on. I've, I've wanted to ask you this question for a long time. You know, I, I wonder, do you ever fear for your own life here? I met a student once in Milwaukee, a Chinese young man who stood up 
and said something at an event that I was speaking at. And later on, I talked to him and he said, you know, I had to look around um, to make before I stood up and spoke because I was afraid there might be someone here um, who could hurt me. Now, I know you're an American. He was he's a Chinese who still has family back home. But, you know, the, there's a lot of Chinese spies in, in America. There's a lot of stuff that happens. Um, have you ever feared for your safety, for your family's safety, for being such an outspoken voice on China? Um, not really. Um, the way I look at it is um, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And mm -hmm. they're going to do what they're going to do. And I believe in God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very american <laughs> way of looking at it that's the kind of courage i think we all need to have as we face the china threat and we try to put um the brakes on the chinification of our own country uh gordon thank you so much uh for joining us today thanks for your time thanks for all the research and work you do to um you know helping our country remain free and strong in the face of this threat um you're 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 truly a uh i think a national treasure so thank you for joining us today well, thank you, Rachel, and thank you, Sean. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. So um, it's for me to thank you. Thank Gordon you. I hope Chang, you enjoy the rest Treasure, of your time in you. Alaska. Yeah, enjoy. Yes. Go salmon we fishing, will. Gordon, or something like that. <laughs> but we do get to talk um, to people who make a difference. Um, and so right. that's, that's a privilege for us. The men and women who put thank uniforms you, on, you know, in the American military, no doubt about that. Gordon Chang, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Since the 1970s, working class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. I think that was a, a fascinating conversation. He's, he's so smart. Uh, on China. He's been talking about this for so long. And what he's been talking about, what he's been thinking about, we're now uh, seeing come to pass with, again, the coronation that you've mentioned, Rachel, from Xi Jinping uh, last week. And m m I, I keep coming back to um, American businesses, American elites. And I come back to that continuously because no one can beat us but ourselves. You know, we will, if, if we lose to these ideas, it'll be because we've given up. It's our, our elite and our population who's given up on the idea of freedom for a different model that we think is better, that um, is tyrannical, that doesn't believe in freedom, that is, that is torturous. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, Gordon talking about um, totalitarianism and how it always ends poorly is so smart because it always ends poorly. It always ends with violence. It always ends with war. It always uh, ends with a lack of, of, of human rights for the people that live under a totalitarian regime. Yeah, you know, I think his conversation was such a mixed bag. You know, on the one hand, I saw some some glimmers of hope. You know, he said that, you know, the Biden administration did make a couple good moves, though not they were kind of half measures and he didn't go far enough. Um, I you know, this idea that capital is is leaving, at least right now, um, is starting to look at different places um, to put their money, you know, that maybe maybe Xi Jinping went too far and um, or 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 even that he's he actually is now free to be the real, you know, Maoist that he is, that he truly believes those ideas. If that's true, they won't have the economic power. Um, that we fear they may have uh, moving into the future. So that's a positive. On the other hand, so many of the Marxist um, ideas have culturally taken hold in our country. And you brought it up, Sean. Um, 
so many of these students, these young people who are, you know, just on, on the more benign level, as you talked about, you know, the, the way they're okay with surveillance, um, by big tech, it's totally normalized to them all the way to like yesterday or this past week, there was another speech on, on one of our college campuses where you see these like totally brainwashed kids, but also that they are like the communist youth, you know, they're spitting and they're angry and they're, you know, angry about like transgender issues and they're freaking out. And there's just like a, so much, um, uh, brainwashing going on and you look at the polling of, of young people who are okay with socialism or want to prefer to live in a communist um, system, prefer to live under a communist system than a capitalist system. Um, there's just not, we haven't done a good job of passing on um, the ideas of freedom, our history, our, our economic model, why it's better. There's a blockout on all the bad stuff that communists um, and all the, the, the things you talked about earlier that happened under communist rule. So I'm left very, very troubled because I see some glimmers of hope, but I also see um, a social credit score system in the WEF and our lack of, of, of educating our own kids and, 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 and ideas about freedom that make me worry. You know, Gordon talked about, you know, Donald Trump, you know, Donald Trump, he wished he had gone further. Um, it was a right start, but I wish he had gone further and had hoped had he had four more years that he would have completed this idea of how we push back and fight back against China. And just, I'm not, I'm, I'm doing this without Gordon on the line. Um, and you, I think you'd agree with me, but what you saw Donald Trump do was um, in the political sense, extreme because the screeching that came from the American business community, from the American elites, the screech that came from the Democrat party when he was going to put tariffs on China um, to, to equal the playing field was immense. The blowback was significant. And Donald Trump still did it because he knew that it was the right thing to do for the American people. The American elites didn't like it, but the American people loved it. And I, I think in, in, the, in the two years since Donald Trump has left office, there's been a solidification of the idea that China really is a threat. We do need more aggressive policies towards China. Again, you can't have free trade without fair trade, and, and it's not fair trade with China. I think American, the American people understand that. And in essence, the American business community is going to have to follow because you can't say, I want to be an American business um, that sells out my countrymen and make all my stuff in China and then bring it back here and sell it to the American people. That idea, I think, is going to fade with the, the enlightenment of um, our people understanding the real threat that it is to our country and to freedom and democracy when our companies go to China. I think that's real. And one other point on on the college campuses, we, we've seen um, China infiltrate all different kinds of businesses and institutions, including our universities and campuses, and push their ideas um, you know, into the culture of the campus. And to your point, Rachel, we do see these little woke Marxist extremists you know, spitting and hissing and espousing the communist idea. But if China, to, to Gordon's point, if they move on Taiwan in the next year or two years, I think you're going to see a complete rethink of China, even in the university systems, even in our institutions, even in our, in our politics. And then you won't see these ideas coming, you know, the China idea coming in to the American institution. I think they'll be shunned and pushed out. And uh, a, a rejigger of what we're teaching our kids, um, the American model versus the Chinese model. I do think that would be the, 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 the point of pivot that happens in American culture. And frankly, it's sad because it only happens when China behaves the way China will behave, which is, you know, to, 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 to take over Taiwan. Um, and it'll be a recognition that we don't have the ability militarily to stop them because we haven't paid attention to. Um, our Navy and our Air Force um, and our military oh, yeah. assets. We don't have, we, we, we haven't kept those up to snuff. We're more concerned about woke politics inside our military. We're more concerned about social spending as opposed to military spending. And the role of our government 
is not social spending. The role of our government is to do things that we can't do for ourselves. That's roads, that's bridges, that's national I know, but defense. Even our military spending is going into all this woke crap. I mean, you, you and I have talked all the time about how they're worried about whether our battleships are eco-friendly or not. I mean, it's just, it's insanity what's happened. I think on the education level, Sean, Senator Blackburn, Senator Rubio and a few others have tried to get this Confucius money out of. So our our we talk about elite capture. They also did a capture at many of our universities. Um, the Chinese CCP did the, the Communist um, Party in China by buying off universities, um, paying for things, and giving them money, and then having this China friendly environment um, going on at our universities, which has has helped to you know indoctrinate so many kids um so could you yeah, could I, you imagine I, back in the 80s if the soviet union was allowed yeah. to funnel money into our university system system to to advocate for the communist model um that was the old soviet union i mean ronald reagan would have lost his shit. um that would have never happened but Today, that's acceptable, and we don't we don't see China as the threat the old Soviet Union was, but it is but as Lenin big of a threat I mean, or Lenin, a bigger threat. The communist Lenin said, "Just give me four years, give me four years, and I can change of your, your entire country." Yep, and they started the college level, and it's moved its way down. You know, they couldn't do the economic Marxism because I think a lot of Americans are still, you know you know, entrenched culturally, which is the the class warfare markets. Yeah. So now, yeah, exactly. They couldn't do the class warfare. It wasn't as effective. So now they, then they use race. Um, and then now they're disrupting with, with gender ideology and people go, well, what, what does that have to do with communism? Well, gender ideology is all about disrupting the family. Um, and we know in communism, one of the first things they do is try to separate, you know, to, to, because the family is a threat to the state it is a direct threat to the power of the state and that's why in communist countries you'll see kids turning in their parents um this is common stuff that anyone who lived in the eastern bloc um in the so former soviet union in china and cuba um you know a sign of you know that the the party the government finally has powers being able to convince children that you know break those bonds of loyalty between their parents and we actually saw that here, Sean, during January 6th, there were multiple kids who turned their own parents in to the FBI. Um, so, I mean, and celebrated as heroes on social media. And, and exactly. so they're they rewarded. They're seen they're They're viewed as heroes um, in this new Marxist, you know, social media state. It's it, you're right. You, the, the, the Marxists need to decouple loyalty to the family and breed loyalty to the state. That's how they get their power. And that's what the that's that's what the left is trying to do today. And you know, my, my hope is that the the common sense Democrats and there are a few left, um, American loving Democrats, and there are a few left. They're all not, you know, radical, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, you know, socialist supporters. They're not all AOCs, but the, those common sense Democrats will actually pivot and try to move their party in into a place that once again can see America first. And again, that's offensive to them because Donald Trump you know, use the phrase, but America first isn't, it should be an, an American policy where we look out for our people, our economy, our jobs, our military, our roads, our bridges, our technology, our education. We look out for all of that first. That is our first priority. And I, maybe to make an argument against myself, you look at what's happening with immigration and you see, and you've done a, you did a story on Fox and Friends on this, that you have migrants who are not U.S. citizens who are treated like I don't want to say kings, but treated very well in these migrant camps in New York City with with beds and and Xboxes and phone banks and big TVs and cell phones. And here you have American homeless living in squalor. Again, it's this idea that um, that's absolutely contrary to the America First policy. America First policy means I take care of my people first. I take care of my country first before anyone else's country and before anyone else's people. And once I'm done with my people and my economy and my country, I can look to the rest of the world and maybe help others out. But when you can't help your own people who are living in squalor, living on the streets, are veterans who are living on the streets, you don't help them, but you help someone from other countries with, I mean, massive dollar layouts and spending of taxpayer money to help people who came here illegally, that's offensive to the idea of America first. And so in places like New York and Chicago, these big these big dollar rollouts are happening for people who came here unlawfully 
to the expense of people who are here, American citizens in suffering. Last night I was watching the uh, debates with you, Sean, in the kitchen, and when they asked, uh, it was the Oz Fetterman debate, and when they asked John Fetterman what was the biggest threat to America, he said, China. He got it right. You said, you said that's the right answer. That's right. So maybe there the is some one, that there the are one answer he gave that I, answered right, right? I applauded him and said, John Fetterman, good for you. And it's, but you know what, if, 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 if a John Fetterman can acknowledge the threat of China, um, maybe the Democrat party isn't lost because he's a far lefty. Yeah, he's a radical lefty. Um, so maybe there is still hope, but listen, I, I, I wanted to just say, I appreciate Gordon Chang. And as we mentioned, all his good work coming on, you know, from the kitchen table, um, and talking about, you know, what, am, I, cause I watched that video of, of who being, being escorted out, um, in public fashion against his will. And I, and I told you this too, I, I, that if he's the, the, the former general secretary of, of, of China, I didn't feel so bad for him. He's part of this regime. He propped up that regime, and now he's living by the regime and getting dragged out. Um, you know what? Maybe he should have thought about the country in which it was. To see him reach out to like his friends, going, "Come on, is anyone gonna?" You, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Gonna help me, and no one was there. No. Nope. Um, but yeah, I mean, and how many people were drugged out under his rule? And yeah, again, no, this is totally right. this is this is the system in which you want to govern by, and now you'll live by it, and they'll drag you out one day too. Um, everyone gets dragged yeah, out at one point. That's what communism is. That's what it that's is. That's what communism is. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very evil ideology. Um, it has no respect for the dignity of life. It's all about the regime, and it's not about the individual. It's not about families. Um, and yeah, so. And and my takeaway, it, Rachel. It, it was heartbreaking, but on the other hand, you're right. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. You're so smart to bring up the family, and I think what all of us have. And there's there's challenges in every family, um, and there's pressures on our families that we've never seen before, but strengthen your own family, talk to your own kids, educate your own kids. Um, I think, I mean, in, in COVID did this for a lot of people, have dinner with your family once, twice, three times a week where you all sit down and you share a meal and you have conversations that are wide ranging with a, with a kindergartner, which is interesting what kindergartners will say and what, what's going on in their lives to, to high school students, to college students. But, but building and strengthening our families is what we do as patriots to make this country also, stronger like, and insulate the, us. Telling the stories about what's happening in China. I mean, I, our, our podcast is from the kitchen table. What is happening? What happens with China? And the Chinification of America is a kitchen table issue. It really is. If we want to pass off the same wonderful place we grew up in the 80s in Sean. <laughs> the 80s were a good time. Um, we better, we better, we have to make a lot of changes now. And I think Gordon's right to point to November 8th. It yes. is a very important time. There is a new Republican Party, that old Republican Party of the Bushes that was tied into the business elite community and and pretended to be you know, gave a, a an olive branch to the social conservatives so that they could get what they wanted with their extreme uh, free enterprise at the cost of, you know, they were actually making money through their relationships with China. That that whole thing is gone. Donald Trump has changed the party. That party's and dead. Those people, that party is dead. And those people are still grumbling. You hear them every now and then. They're still around. They're still grumbling that the system is is not working in their favor anymore and that we've all woken up to what the the dirty game was. Um, but we have woken up. And right now on November 8th, there are a lot of China hawks, a lot of, of, of members, uh, candidates who are for the working class, who believe in America first, who will not sell out to the um, Chinese money, who will not sell out to the globalists, uh, those people, we can elect them on November 8th, and this election is really, really important in that regard. I couldn't help but think when you said I've woken up that you've heard it here first out of her own mouth. Rachel Campos Duffy is woke. She is a woke yeah, woman. She's a I woke mom of nine. Um, the, you're right there, Rachel. Uh, the, the 8th of November, November is a reckoning of, of policies in the future of the country 
to take us in a different direction, to have better balance, uh, and to push great American ideas um, in in the House and the Senate. Um, and that's possible. It's going to happen in the House. We're not so sure about the Senate. I, I'm, I'm bullish on the Senate, but I'm that's yet to be on seen. The Senate. We're going to take the Senate. So listen, I want to thank you all for joining us at our kitchen table. Rachel, great conversation. Uh, great get on, on Gordon Chang. So smart, so insightful. Um, and you're right, he's an American treasure, and we appreciate him uh, for joining us at the kitchen table. If you like our podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast uh, to from the kitchen table. We'd appreciate that. And uh, until next time, thank you for joining us. Bye, everybody. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.